Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing the decline of vests. Nick, are you wearing a vest? No. Chris, are you wearing a vest? Well, sort of, but we can come on to that. Mm, in a way, you sort of are, and as I am I. Come to, come um, on to his vest. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but in those, in in the usually understood vocabulary meaning of vest, I'm not wearing a vest. No, uh, none neither. of us wearing vests, really. Uh, Nick, why aren't we wearing vests or bowler hats for that matter? Right. Um, so a few related observations yeah. that that il- illustrate the phenomenon that mm. I think we want to discuss. Right. Firstly, there are no vests. Yeah. They're gone. They're gone. And and there I wasn't a day without a vest really in the in the olden days, in the eighties. Mm. Everyone the vest was just part of your clothes. Yeah. And then suddenly they were gone. Mm. And I can only imagine that you know, everyone just put them away one year, one summer, and then didn't put them back on. Mm. Uh relatedly, when I was a kid, I used to get the train in from South London to my nurse with my mum to, to the nursery, um, which was near where she worked. And she smoked, and so we'd get on the smoking carriage on the train. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there were a couple of old chaps there who worked in the city. They would always be on the same in the same carriage on the same train, and they smoked pipes and mm. wore pinstripe suits and had bowler hats. Mm-hmm. And then it just occurred to me a few years ago that uh, you know nobody wears a bowler hat now, and yet it wasn't unusual then. Um, it wasn't totally weird to see people in bowler hats which means that at some point someone put down their bowler hat and didn't pick it up the next day i don't think that's what happened but okay, anyway keep but, going. but we'll get on to what might be driving this strange behavior and then the final thing is just beards it occurred to me i can't remember i think it was um well i was on holiday i was, I, just, I think i was in a room and i realized that i was about the only person without a beard in this room mm. uh and i suddenly realized that you know 20 years ago if someone had a beard it was a serious talking point People would be going on about why have you got a beard and you yeah, know, yeah. what's that all about? And look at that guy across the bar. He's got a beard. Yeah, Isn't that yeah. weird? Um, and now it's absolutely normal and not remarked on at all. So these are examples, I think, of sort of very slow. It's not fashion. It's not high fashion. It's not the kind of fashion that people mm. talk about. Mm. Um, you know, it's not something that Vogue uh, is going to publish an article about. But yet... Um, it, over the course of a generation or two, you see these quite profound shifts in, you know, fashion type behaviour, what people wear. And why is my question? What's right. driving that? And also, by the way, just to pick up on the point of bowler hats, not only bowler hats, hats, hats. Well, far what about less... baseball caps? Well, hold on. I mean, they're, 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 they're still far, far less. So there was a time where you wouldn't be complete you sure. wouldn't be dressed without if, going if you look some at sort of Pathé news footage yeah, of you know the yeah. cup final from 1953 yeah. or something it, yeah it, it, everybody's throwing their hat in the right when they yeah. in the school although yeah. with baseball caps you know certainly in the states in america i mean it's very very common it, i think it is more normal to sort of wear a hat all the time it tends to be a baseball cap but anyway i think we want to talk about slow fashion changes is yeah. that right and what, what moves drives those that? What drives shifts. that? So, what's driving that? Yeah, yeah. What, how we can think about what what is what is making people make different choices now than they were making thirty years ago. Hmm. Um, Are we going to? I hope we're going to have enough meat for this. I mean, let's see. I don't I've know. got some. I've got. Yeah. Well, I've well, got some data. No doubt, Chris has got some interesting observations. But if you, when when we're 
when we're when we're suitably when bedded in when he's shot his load yeah oh, we, i can talk about some uh some data okay. I've gathered. i'll, I'll, I'll try right. not to do that yeah to, to hold off on that for yeah. a bit yeah. yeah um chris weigh in what are, what are your thoughts on well, all this well I, I think there's quite a lot um to be uh, there, there are quite a lot of insights from just looking at some of those those examples that mm. nick came up with so like the bowler hat you know the history of the bowler hat was uh, in 1849, mm. uh, Thomas and William Bowler, uh, the hat makers, the London hat makers, uh, were, were given um, an order for a uh, a hat from a sort of landowning gent who who wanted something for gamekeepers mm-hmm. to wear on their head, uh, so that when they were riding, it would protect them from uh, from low hanging branches. That was so it had to be a sort of you know a a low crested yeah. hat, um, and rounded presumably so it didn't get knocked didn't off. Well, yeah, quite so that it so presented a, a smooth. So so yeah, and and also it gives it gives it more sort of strength. Um, you, you know that 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 uh, that shape. So um, so that was the sort of brief. But then if you look at so it was actually a kind of working hat, and and, and in the early you know or, or in the nineteenth century. In Britain, it was much more associated with uh, the working classes, and it wasn't really until the twentieth century that it shifted across to the, you know, the idea of the city, the city the gent. City gent yeah. And of course, you've got, you know, that famous um, uh, that was the week that was sketch with Cleese mm. and the two Ronnies, mm. where you know the upper class uh, member of that trio is wearing a, a bowler hat and it, you know, becomes very closely associated with that. So I, I think there's something interesting about the, the, the cultural, uh, you know, background. And if you look, apparently the bowler hat was the, the most worn hat of the American West. So you think of cowboy hats and, but it was actually, it was actually bowler hats. And then you've got these, the, you know, you look at things like, um, Ulster unionism and it's still associated mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, unionism in, in, in yeah. Northern Ireland. Um, there are, you'll probably, when I say this, you'll probably conjure a picture in your head, but in South America, mm. um, certain indigenous groups where the women wear bowler hats, and that was apparently passed over by British rail workers in the in the sort of early uh, 20th century and, and is now picked up as sort of traditional yeah. wear, but, but isn't. So you've got all these different, Bowler hats are flipping incredible. Yeah, so they're yeah. Sti- so they're still they're still sort of around, or you know, but they have specific connotations in in specific settings. And I, I think, you know, one of my theories is that that bowler hats are um, and and fashions like this are, you know, their their fate is driven by the cultural associations of it. So at the point at which it's no longer. Uh, appropriate to be seen as upper class you know where, where class becomes um uh, you know a difficult thing socially you get the abandonment of of a an obvious symbol of of that um mm-hmm. so so i think yeah looking at the the kind of cultural context is um is is one of the key drivers behind whether things uh get abandoned or not but that being the case i mean that makes sense in the uk for example with bowler hats but what about i don't know if you have any thought first of all do you agree with the premise that we wear hats less you know in the uk and if so why might why might that be the case across all classes for example yeah yeah well i th- i think 
you know, there's also an issue. You see, so if you take the example of vests, right? Vests have a utility. They keep you, they keep you warm. Hats have a utility, which is to keep your head warm or to shade you and from dry. the sun and and dry. Yes. Um, so so we haven't lost the requirement for a hat, and we haven't lost the requirement for for a vest, uh, but they have been replaced. So we still have hats, right? And and we wear them on the occasions when you know when it's cold, people put a woolly hat on. When it's sunny, you might put a peaked hat on to shade your eyes but the rest of the time in this country we probably we probably don't need them Mm. vests you know we still have a requirement to keep warm but we we've replaced that with with something else i mean you know shirts were originally like you know button shirts were originally not viewed right they 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 were your undergarments right Mm -hmm. and it was only when uh certain british gents started wanting to display the the cuffs and the collar Mm. that it became a a kind of outer fashionable garment so you know that requirement for an for an undergarment has evolved and one of the reasons i said uh well i'm sort of wearing a vest is we think of a vest as a sleeveless undergarment Mm. but of course t-shirts were originally undergarments worn by you know u.s military in in particular and when they started displaying them externally you know it became a a an outer garment so it's like there's a sort of onion phenomenon going on here where the outer layer gets peeled away that's and then right. you have to invent new inner layers to yeah. keep yourself warm. Yeah. And then the inner layers eventually make their way to the outside. That's right. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're ultimately sort of molting. Like, yeah. Like yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Shedding their skin. Yeah. But also, just on a note, I couldn't, I couldn't wear a vest because now, because I would just be too hot all the time, you know? Even in the winter, I'd be too hot. Um, or maybe I really am wearing a vest because, as you say, I'm wearing my T-shirt and a jumper. And, and, and that side of things. But anyway, anyway, I digress. Um, so I think that's a set of, uh, I mean, that's really interesting. I didn't I didn't know any of that. I just had a hat and vest education. Yes, indeed. indeed. I, I looked at facial hair. Okay. Because I, I actually couldn't get any data on vests. And even hats, I couldn't easily get a kind of, you know, measure of hats per, per head, as it were. Um, so but, there, got, yeah, but there is uh, data out there about hair, facial hair. No, but I could easily create some, and here's how. Okay. So I looked at um, uh, the England squad yeah. every four years. Oh wow, this is interesting. Good. And then I looked at football. Um, I presume. Then I looked at yeah, and then I also looked at um, portraits of British prime ministers. Mm. So um, from 1930, I couldn't get a photo of the England squad in 1930. At least not one that was high enough resolution for me to discern, to discern the facial. I'm guessing situation. lots of moustaches, but anyway. Well, have a, you you guess away? But let let me ask you this then: When do you think the first moustache was out from 1930? What do you mean? In it was seeing it in yeah, the football the first, squad. First first person with a moustache. Who do I think the first person was? 1934 onwards. Well, no, I mean, when do you? How many? Okay, how many do you think there were in 1934? 50 uh, percent of them. There were none. Okay. The first moustache mm. does not appear till 1954. I reckon there would have been moustaches earlier on. If you had photos from the 1890s, I think you'd have... Well, the... we will get to that yeah, because because there's that's the interesting thing about contrasting. These guys are younger yeah. than prime ministers, yeah. by and large. Um, and then an astonishing um, 30... More than 30 years go by yeah. with no facial hair whatsoever. Really? Um, apart from Gil Merrick, the lone standout between 1934 and 19, um, the 1970s. Only person with facial hair in any England squad. Then in 1978... Was his David a beard? 
I mean, uh, no, it was a moustache. Little, very, very natty 1950s moustache. Okay. He looked a bit like a spiv. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, then you get a classic 70s droopy moustache on David Johnson, 1978. <laughs> and 1974, by the way, they've all got long hair. They must have sideburns as well. Yeah, they've all got long hair. And yeah. I didn't look late, at Late sideburns. 70s and early 80s, there are, you definitely think of a lot of tashed football yes, players. Yes, you get you know, this Graham Souness and... Uh, That's right. So you get yeah, this cluster Terry where McDermott, you have, well, McDermott. even then only one moustache and one beard in 1982 and another moustache in 86. Um, David Seaman's famous moustache oh, yeah, makes an yeah. appearance in the late 90s. Um, but then there's been a beard explosion okay. in the last 10 years. Uh, so in 2014, being rather generous with the term beard, some might call it just thick stubble, but you've got two in 2014 and then four in 2018. Yeah. And the last Euro squad, again, four beards. What So... Even though I think of actually the seventies as quite a sort of beardy time, yeah. it was nothing compared to today. We are in a massive, this, we're in a beard tsunami at the moment. Yes, and I and I think it's hard to cast your mind back to you know to to a, a time when they were really unusual. But we've got to remember that we were living in an incredibly unusually beardy time at the moment. Mm. And and in in who knows twenty years time, people might look back look and go, at what look was at that all those all beards. In the same way we do to portraits of people in the Victorian era and think, gosh, look at all that facial hair. So talking of facial hair um, yeah. and prime ministers now, which where we have a longer data set. We're going to see more here, aren't we? Well, wrong. Not a single piece of facial hair from Walpole in 1721 yeah. through to the Marquess of Salisbury, 1885. First okay. beard, in fact. So wigs, yes. A billion wigs. <laughs> Nearly everyone had wigs, uh, with a couple of exceptions. Presumably the wigs had wigs. Uh, the wigs did have wigs, yeah. <laughs> then you get um, then you get a bit of a ding-dong battle. Salisbury, beard. Gladstone, nothing. Yeah. Salisbury, beard. Gladstone, nothing. Yeah. Arthur Balfour, moustache. Then we get this era in the early 1900s of moustaches. Yeah. A big swathe of them. Lloyd George, Lloyd George later other. on Chamberlain. Bannerman, I think, did uh, Ramsay MacDonald? Ramsay MacDonald yeah. had a tash. No, no beards. If, if we've only ever had one bearded Prime Minister. Now, Can hold, you believe what, this? No, let, let me, who would that have been? Well, but, it was Salisbury, I've told you. Oh, was it Salisbury? Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, then a real sort of, yeah, but, but it's moustaches, every other person is a moustache. Yeah, like Macmillan, until, Eden, you said. No, until Macmillan. He was the last person. We haven't had a single person with facial hair. Since Macmillan? Since Macmillan, since, since, the, uh, since 1963, Alec Douglas Hume. That's incredible. He was a clean-faced man. Yeah, he was blown off by the winds of change. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now, putting it together... I think we can say that probably the reason that none of those footballers had uh, moustaches is because they were the young men who would later become the sort of, you know, come of age in the in the Douglas Hume kind of era. Yeah. Um, and and therefore, basically, young people have not grown moustaches and beards for I getting on for 100 years is, is what I'm saying until now. Right? Yeah. Um, young people with facial hair absolutely non-existent since since the 1930s so i'd say if you were born from 1910 1920 onwards you probably would would be totally clean shaven so i was really surprised by that but and actually um looking some someone has um martin vargic uh, I, I think that's how you pronounce it has done a very long-term study i think looking at portraits hmm. for the last 2000 years hmm. and um, it, the, the change is very slow, as with most things, but with a marked uh, d- gradual decline in northwestern Europe, a gradual decline in facial hair 
of any kind from nearly 100 percent in in the sort of you know year zero uh down down to about um 1700 when it which was the absolute low point um about 20 percent of people had any facial hair and then it absolutely rockets up to the year 1900 so in that space of about 200 years you've, you're going from 20 percent facial hair up to 90 percent facial hair by by uh by the year 1900 and um and then another precipitous decline and 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 so this data doesn't take us up to the present mm. day it just goes to sort of just after the year 2000 but i would think that that would be um that would show a marked rise again so so you know in general slow movements but with some very marked peaks but they're very you know we're talking about long-term cycles it's not of the matter of you know 20 years 30 years it's we're talking 100 year cycles in facial hair here so this is brilliant this is interesting the question is why is that the question do we want i mean do we want to explore that or is there other stuff we want to talk about yeah well i what drives this stuff? i've got a few general observations about the kinds of variables we might be looking at before we do uh chris anything to say well i, I mean it kind of bears out my own personal facial hair history a little bit okay um, because it was, it was definitely the case that when i was a when I was first able to grow facial hair, mm. nobody really had facial hair. There, there, there was experimentation with with sideburns, mm. so that was definitely something. And then when I was about seventeen, mm. I decided to grow a goatee because I oh because I could. But this was like a, a, an incredibly uh unusual thing to do and then when i was mm. in my early 20s so about two th year 2000 it must have been around then mm. i decided to grow an abraham lincoln beard oh my god um and and again this was like hugely eccentric at the time and, and yeah uh, you know people is that why you, you did pull it? it off you've got a bit of an abraham lincoln thing mm. going that's on, what i thought well, he basically, does. he's quite a sober individual in some ways so, yeah, yeah yeah so i i i, I thought i'd go for it um and then well, wait a minute. What were the results of all these? Let's just talk through what happened with the goatee. The goatee was pretty good. The reason I started growing the Abraham Lincoln beard was because I'd noticed when I was sort of in my stubble, I'd noticed like this patchy gap developing. And I was yeah. like, what's that all about? I, I, yeah, I'd better, I'd better see what happens here. So so I grew it and it turns out it was an early grey patch. Oh. So I had the this little two grey stripes in my in sounds my quite distinguished yeah that's what i thought but the whole abraham lincoln um, thing did you shave your upper lip yes yeah it was lit it was literally the the jawline yeah uh, well, yeah not a chin strap yeah it went around the yeah, yeah. that's right oh that's interesting and um, i i and then what because uh i too attempted i attempted to grow a goatee because a girl i fancied said she liked them it was a failure <laughs> It was a terrible failure. But a failure I've on all got, fronts. I've got quite fair hair, so it would have taken a lot of work, I think. And even then, it wouldn't have been... It wouldn't be good of, enough for her. No, I think I think she was looking for more of the kind of, you know, Cypress Hill, hard man kind of goatee. And I would never have been able to pull that off. No, I don't think so. No. So after your the years of enforced celibacy because of this beard... Yeah. You, so. I, I, I then, I then realised it was folly. No, I, I, basically, I, I sort of got rid of it at some point because it was just a, a pain to... To, to maintain manage, yeah. yeah um and then i noticed you know i don't know let's say five or ten years later yeah you know the the hipster beard explosion yeah um and so yeah i was probably single-handedly responsible for that yes well can so. i also throw this into the mix um yeah. i don't know if you noticed this uh chris because we both worked at the ministry of defense in the time at the time but of course we also had a lot of 
uh, uh, people who deployed to Afghanistan where you were supposed to grow a beard ah. so that you could look like a real man in front of the local Afghans. Right. And, and actually, I think the first beards and moustaches I remember being aware of were of, of people who'd been out there in Afghanistan. And I, I wonder if that had some kind of subtle influence on Could have done, you know yeah, i mean yeah. if you're if the local hard man from your town comes back from you know on leave and he's got a beard you might think well that's quite cool the the, the army guy yeah i want to be like him, i don't yeah. know if that sort yeah. of sowed some seeds yeah, who knows somewhere. where who knows where it comes from there's also a sort of a bit of a kind of steampunk victorian yeah, you know aspect thing, to it? it with with people waxing yeah, their yeah, moustaches yeah. and um, a friend of mine yeah. claims to have like witnessed when that happened, the moment when that became a thing. Let's say it was ten years ago, for example. He said that what happened was at Glastonbury that there was one or two people were doing exactly that, and that sort of all the people who went to Glastonbury then sort of came back to wherever Shoreditch and wherever else, and they thought you know that was a good thing. Let's you know do the all sort of waxing like that, that ultra that that high hipster look. Yeah. So yeah. Where I, that's his theory. I'm not sure I completely agree with him, but 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 yeah. Um, I feel we've sort of quite gone quite deep into well, beards here. So I think um, I think we what we. The, the interesting so I, I've isolated a bunch of different types of variable not specific variables mm. uh, just in terms of what sorts of variables we might be looking for that could could give us this kind of change firstly we got static uh, sort of endogenous elements so in other words uh, the things that people are making a decision on that are really about the here and now which might be uh, how many people have beards right now mm. so it might be that if there's not many you might you might choose not to get one yourself but if there's lots you might choose to get yeah. one so then there's dynamic elements so you might this is about basing your decision on the rate of change so it's not just how many people it's how fast they're growing and if you think oh okay this beard thing is all is going to be all the rage i'm going to grow a beard um because you're seeing it climbing the beard thing is taking off it's a bandwagon you want to be on there mm. versus seeing it declining and then wanting to get your razor out because you don't want to be unfashionable. Mm. Um, but then there's environmental factors, which might be an issue, or, or and including technological ones, which we might touch on um, to do with things like clothing and uh, you know, air conditioning and mm. all those other things. Uh, and finally, stochastic elements. Is it there could be pure randomness involved? It could just be that you know there's a certain um, uh, you know percentage chance that someone will want want to grow a beard at any given time and then combining that with some other dynamic factors it might be that just 10 people in in town all just happen to decide to grow a beard at the same mm. time and hey presto that then becomes a thing um uh there's also yeah so that's that those are the kinds of things and i think it, to produce a cycle we need there needs to be a dynamic element so there needs to be some consideration of the rate of change so our, our behavior needs to be based on some perception of what is going up and what's coming down. Because uh, if it's static, then you would expect it to converge on an equilibrium where just there was always the same percentage of people with beards. But that isn't that doesn't happen. So there's some there's we're looking for a dynamic variable, we're looking for something which which is either exogenous and driven by technology um, or which is uh, where people's decisions are based on seeing things change and wanting to, to either get on board or get off. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I feel like the crux of the question is about the longevity of the cycle, yeah. right? So, because many of those things, as, as I was coming to London today, on the train, 
there was no one wearing a mask, right, on, right. My, on my train. You yeah. don't have to now on trains. When I got to the underground, you're still sort of compelled to wear them, but I would say 80% of people were, were wearing them. Mm. And I put my mask on at that point because I, I got the vis- visible trigger of, oh, people are putting, wearing their masks. I better put, you know, better put mine on. And, you know, we, there's obviously an environmental reason there, which is about the, the virus, but there's also this kind of, you, you're observing what's going on around mm, you and, mm. you know, all those things that, that Nick talked about. But that's going to, you know, masks are going to be a very short cycle, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but other other fashion um, items are m- much shorter cycles. You, you do that. for. But what is it about vests, bowler hats, and, uh, you know, facial overall facial hair, incidents that makes those cycles more like you know if you think about bowler hats being 1849 to probably about a hundred or so years later you know dropped in the 60s let's say Mm. um what is it that gives something that 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 lifespan outside of standard standard fashions um and that's what i'm not sure about well earlier you alluded to something that i think um Uh, Alexander Scott, uh, sorry, Scott Alexander calls the barber pole theory, which is about status signaling. Mm-hmm. So, th- and I think this is quite persuasive. Um, and you see it in linguistics as well. It's, it's, it's a very common phenomenon, basically, that, which, is, which is that something starts, it, it could be anything. Let's just assume that people are experimenting. People of all different social statuses are experimenting with wearing things. And at some point, a few high status people, uh, whether they're, you know, in the modern age, footballers or, you know, YouTube influencers or something, um, sort of decide to do a certain thing um, and they're high status. So the people who are a bit lower status than them want to join that high status bandwagon. So they 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 the, the sort of signal descends. But people who are way down the social scale, who haven't got a hope of looking like you know a football or whatever mm. they, they they it hasn't reached them it doesn't exist you go down to local weather spoons no one's got a beer um then gradually you know more and more people are exposed to slightly higher status people than them who are doing that thing and they then gradually adopt it and it gradually starts to seep down the social scale and then the people at the top go wait a minute <clears throat> there's people in weather spoons wearing a beard it's time to time to shave mm. and um and so then it disappears and the same seepage c- carries on downwards, um, which I think I think I feel like that that, that the qu- Chris's question, which is how does it why does it take so long? Um, and I, I, I wonder if it's because there are some things which uh, just take a long time to get associated in a, mm. with status. Like you mentioned, I mean, with the, that interesting thing about the bowler hat you know it, it takes a long time for it to become associated with being middle class and then upper class people won't do it and now it's a uh, you know or being a so yeah I, yeah i i think it's all you know yeah so i, I think something like that uh, um you know that actually the the characteristics that people are trying to um emulate uh, take a long time to be associated with being high status um because there's and, and so my hypothesis would be because there's something slightly arbitrary about them whereas you know wearing uh, driving a really expensive car or living in a massive house is something which is not 
it's obviously it's just the association with being high status is is immediate and and it's difficult to emulate also yeah is that difficult but, but to emulate how accessible yeah, is something the association yeah. of beards and high status is going to take a lot longer to to appear because you know it's, yeah, yeah 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 that's i mean we will we will never know we will never know we need to stop you've okay. got a beard i do i've got a beautiful beard what's that all about I, well, do you know what for years for years i mocked myself thinking that i was incapable of growing a beard turns out i am incapable of growing a, a decent beard but um i remember when my mother was alive she used to say to me i i see her every month or two over years and she would always go how's the beard going and i said well it's it this is it you know yeah so i do i don't know i mean because when we, when we met um when i was a callow youth as were you um yeah no beard now i got a beard and i think just one day i thought I'll try it out, you know? You thought, you think that's what you thought, but really you thought, I want to look cool like those uh, hipsters right. down at the artisan shop. And I can't help but feel that it's sort of, there's a correlation with the, a lack of hair. As I've less hair yeah. on top, like put more down here. And I always thought, oh, the, the, the tricky bit would be the sides, you know? I've never been able to grow decent sideburns, and I think the answer is still the same. You, it's you're not basically the mo- that optical illusion, aren't you, where you, where you can turn the, <laughs> the, the face upside down. And, uh, I, so I can tell you the next, the next coming hair trend, because yeah, I now see, I saw loads of people with it. Well, yeah. a significant number. Well, actually, let's make this our question to finish okay. off on. Well, I mean, okay, so what, what's the new... What's the new... What's, what's the next... New, Bowler hat stroke, facial yeah. hair stroke, vest. Yeah. Okay. Just in the in the next couple of years, yeah. I anticipate seeing a lot more men with a full beard and side and shaved sides of heads, and then a sort of little ponytail thing. Oh, really? Yeah. That's the. And what that's What the, is your where, prediction where, based on? Um, I've seen it now. Uh, in a few places. Yeah. And so describe again. So a beard, but then shaved, shaved, shaved and then side of head, and then the top of it sort of pulled back into a kind of ponytail. So you look a ah. bit like a Nordic, how you might imagine a Nordic warrior to look, or a or a um, that's kind of what um, uh, what do you call them? Dispatch riders, not dispatch riders. What's the word I'm looking for in in London? Um, who cycle around couriers? Couriers. That's a kind of a courier look as well. Yeah, 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 kind of. But that's kind of going back to eighties, almost goth metal type thing. But okay, yeah, a little bit. All right, yeah. so that's your or prediction. Just the the eight eighties Viking type thing. I yes, think that's the what 80s. they imagine anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't have a prediction, but I did have a prediction in the past, and it came true. Oh yeah. Which was I remember watching Peaky Blinders. Okay, the popular was BBC. Yeah, still BBC program. And I thought, you know what? We're going to see a lot of those baggy cloth yes. caps yeah i hate them yeah i hate them and i i, I just don't like it because it's just so obvious where it's come from and it's just so sheep-like you know and you know and actually that sort of slight which is a beardy guy which is because i also annoyed me because i have time he'll have one of those yeah. cloth caps but also i had a cl- i had a, a flat cap which i unfortunately i've lost but and i thought that's going to stop me now from wearing my mm. my flat cap because people are going to think i'm trying to do a, a, a cloth yeah. cap but i'm not but um, and then the other one actually, Madman was no Adman. What was it called? Madman. Madman, yeah. Madman, where that sort of very sharp sort of fifties tight suit, small lapels, and I thought that's going to be a thing, and yeah. that became a thing. Yeah, um, Chris, well, hang on, but what's going to become a thing? Well, so I, now that I've said I can do this, right? Yeah. That I predicted in the past, I've got to do it now. I'm really lucky. Uh, yeah. I've got well, actually no. Well, I think I'm probably a little bit behind on this because we probably talked about that. I think fidgets, baggy. <laughs> <laughs> baggier trousers 
baggier trousers. trousers. We're going to see that. Okay. I think that's what we're going to see. Like, yeah. thank God for the the, the long awaited death of skinny jeans. Mm. Um, I find them a bit chuggy, to be honest. Uh, Chris, <laughs> um, yeah. So I I think I, I mean it's it's been vaunted for quite quite a while, but um, the the death of the the tie. Uh-huh. is is something i mean if i think about when the last time i wore a tie was mm. uh it was at, it was at my mother's funeral and mm. the next time i'm going to wear one will be at an upcoming friend's wedding okay um and uh I, and in the workplace you know i i think they're dead but i'm going to go a bit further than that yeah and say the death of the lounge suit is is upon us so i i think that that um that expectation that a man in a formal setting will wear a lounge suit i think over the next couple of decades that will what well, but even yeah. on occasions like funerals and weddings uh i well i and this i mean this is quite interesting because i think the one hope for anything to achieve you know almost immortality is to become part of a tradition whether that's an invented tradition or 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 a genuine one um and you know so so there may be a place for it in traditional ceremonial type settings like weddings and funerals but i think beyond that uh 20 years time they'll be gone Hmm. my understanding is that uh formal attire simply tracks um uh normal attire Hmm. from you know some a generation or two behind so no doubt mm. chris is correct um but i don't know about the suits i think they might they might be on the way back or it could yeah i mean because because otherwise 100 like, because years from now it's now everyone no one wears one which makes me think it's the time is ripe for the barber pole to start ro- rotating again yeah. and for for high status people to be wearing maybe, suits and ties maybe i mean and if you and talking about longevity you know you look at the you look at the tie um, you know that's that's from uh, the the Thirty Years' War, you know, in the in the seventeenth century, and you know, basically cravats kind of came from the Croatian mercenaries there, Croats, cravats, um, and you know that that trend for neckwear has been up and down for hundreds of 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 years. Yeah. Um, so that's a really long one, and I think the the eventual death of that which we're definitely definitely seeing um is quite significant you know for for you know that's longer than all of those other trends yeah, we've quite. been looking at um just on a slight aside does anything rhyme with croat because i remember years ago playing a dungeon and drobo croat <laughs> yeah there count? you go that arrived um no i remember years ago having a dungeon and dragon type argument there was a beast that i call i pronounced as the, as a zoat and and my friends say you idiot it's a zoat you know, and then I couldn't think of an example of anything that was uh, would would make that OA sound and an OA sound. But at the time, well, I trying sh- to find a rhyme for Croat is something you should never have a go at. As always, thanks for listening. Um, if you've got any thoughts or suggestions for topics, you can email us at podcast at We'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed the podcast, uh, what should you do, Chris? Uh, you should uh, lightly doff your bowler hat and. Um suppress the like button indeed you should uh thanks as always for listening i'm fraser mcgrewer we've been here with nick Hare and chris rag of aleph insights until next time goodbye mm-hmm.